Hallelujah. Come on, let's Thank praise Him. Every day. Every day. Yes, every day, church. Praise God. I don't know about you, but if someone's coming here today and they're having a hard time some days of the week, I can tell you, you're probably not doing that every day. Because I know if you do it every day, it's going to be a little bit easier. Amen? Amen. Every day, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise the Lord, church. Amen. I'm thankful for two two, uh, baptized in the Holy Ghost last night. Two filled with the Holy Ghost last night at our Spanish service. Amen. Amen. And one baptized in Jesus' name today came up speaking in tongues and filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Every day. Every day, that's what it's about, every day. Thank you, Jesus. If you could just stand, I want to go ahead and get right into the Word tonight. And we're going to look at uh, Exodus chapter 32, uh, 1 through 5. Exodus chapter 32, 1 through 5. And it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, Make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand And he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molten calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Tonight's thought is just fool's gold. Fool's gold. If you can just pray with me for a second. Lord, be with us tonight. We praise you. Let your word come forth, Lord God. Touch us. Prick our hearts tonight, Lord God. Minister to us tonight, Lord God. In Jesus' name, let your word speak and pierce hearts, Lord God. In your mighty name, we pray and give you thanks, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to just give honor to Pastor. We can be seated. I want to give honor to Pastor. I'm so thankful for his ministry that, that we are under, and so thankful for him. And I'll just say that as God elevates him, he is elevating us. He is elevating the Tree Life Church, amen? So he is elevating ministries. He's el- elevating people that are just coming in. He is doing something here at Tree Life. And as he elevates our pastor, we are elevating with him. And I'm thankful for that and, and the leadership that, that he's giving us. And I'm thankful for that powerful word this morning. Hallelujah. Convicting word, a convicting word this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And I just have to say that it it is just, I've just got this sense and the word that we've been hearing recently, not just here from this pulpit, but as uh, I was at camp this week and and bought a few years ago and different conventions and everything I'm going to, and it just struck me today the urgency that is coming forth from God. 
the urgency that he's putting forth into the body of Christ through his pulpits, through his conferences, through his ministries, whatever they may be, whatever level that is, there's an urgency taking place that God is pouring out. Pastor said today that it's not popular to pre- preach like that in 2018. And it's not, but I'm not so sure it's because it's not received so much. But I think that that, that word, that fire and brimstone, that, that day and age of the warning signs has passed. Not because it's not needed, but because God's already done that. He's already said, I'm giving my warning signs. The red lights have been flashing. I've already done that. We are so far down the road that right now he's just pouring out his love. And they're saying, it's time to come to me. It's time to come to me. So the pastors and the ministers and the preaching Bishop Buller that I heard when you convicted me as a 10-year-old boy to come to the altar and get the Holy Ghost about there is a hell and that there is a heaven and that's where eternity is going to be. Those days where God was putting up those warning lights, now he's pouring out his love and he's saying, we're past that now. If you didn't get those warning signs then, I don't know, it might be too late. I can think of a story, Brother Brian Duvall's not here and his dad tonight, but it's a funny, great story that I love that he has told uh, several times to me, and I laugh every time, but he talks about us when he was a kid, one of his first trips, I guess, with his dad and some of the brethren from church. They were driving, I don't know, somewhere in this big station wagon and, and going down the road, and all the men are just talking and carrying on, having a good time, and Brian, you know, like when I was a little kid, you would sit up there in that kind of that middle section and try and hear all the conversations and look what's going on. And he said they passed this big warning sign that said, road closed ahead. And he was saying something. He tried to tell them. And they said, oh, just listen, be quiet. We're talking. So they kept shushing them and everything. And they keep going. And he sees another one. And this one they had to kind of squeeze through. But they weren't even paying attention as they're talking and carrying on. And he says, hey, hey, there's another sign. And keep it quiet, son. We're talking. We're having a good time here carrying on. And he said he started to see cars looking at him as they were going by the the real road, looking at him like, what are they doing? And he said, finally, all of a sudden, they saw that the road was coming to an end and slammed on the brakes. The car came up and just went over the edge just a little bit, not too far to carry him all the way over, but it, it, it stopped just in time. And I don't remember how he said they got out of that mess. I can't remember that part of the story, but it's just funny picturing him with his face and and saying, hey, slow down, there's something ahead, there's something ahead. Stop, we can't keep going this way. There's something, there's something stopping us ahead. And, and, and them not paying attention and not realizing it. So I, I feel like we've already hit a time where if you didn't catch that red light, if you didn't catch that warning sign, some of the people are just going to keep going over that edge. Some people may have already stopped. And I think that's who we're seeing right now. The churches are being filled up with, I think, some of those people that have stopped. Even if it was just in time, they've made that stop and said, okay, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to come back to church. I'm going to come back to God. I'm going to see what this is all about. But I believe. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But I truly believe all those, those services, Bishop Buller, all those messages. I'm a fan of going back and watching older because of the time messages and services from the 80s and 90s. Brother Purdy's good to send one a week at least. And and the messages, the powerful messages back then that were warning us and saying, hey, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Now we're seeing it. We're seeing it. The stuff that we were told about at that age, we're starting to see happen. Stuff that I never thought would happen, we're starting to see happen. And now I believe God's saying, hey, if you missed that sign, 
it might be too late. And he's just pouring out his love. He's pouring out his love. Just like when he was going to destroy Sodom, Abraham prayed and said, can you just wait, just wait. And God said, I'll wait. I'll wait and I'll let you get a few people out of there. He's pouring out his love and giving some people this last chance, this last time. And he's saying, you know what? I've showed you what I'm going to do. You've seen in my word what I'm going to do with Noah and the ark. You've seen what I've done to Sodom. But I'm going to go ahead and just pour out my love right now. And if you don't receive it now, it's going to be too late. So I feel the urgency and prayer, brother, with the prayer, what we felt tonight, the urgency we felt in this prayer tonight. God is saying it's time. It's time to start coming back. It's time to start dedicating your life to me and my word and this word because that's what time it is, church. That's where we're at. The warning signs have passed, and it's time to react right now. Just like when you hear warning signs, fire alarms at school, all those things that we did as a kid when they would sound the fire alarms and say, all right, we're doing this test drill. They sound the alarm first, but then it's up to us to respond. It's up to us to take the motion. That's when we come together. That's when we start to move. That's when we start to do what we're supposed to do. God has said, all right, I've sounded it. Now you need to respond. And that's what we're starting to do. And that's what we need to do, church. The other thing that I'm hearing so often at, at these conferences and these services, discipleship. Discipleship. That's another thing. Our pastors and our preachers have done their job for so many years flashing the warning signs. Now God is saying, it's time for my body. It's time for my body, everyone to respond and everyone to start doing something to get people to come back to me, to get people to find me. Discipleship. That's what we're hearing everywhere. This whole week at camp, discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. Find someone. Just find one person and disciple to them and bring them to church. Give them a Bible study, whatever it is. Find one person. Amen. That's what Jesus did when he went to the well, the woman of Samaria that was there. He sent the, the disciples off, and he ministered to one person. That's the one person that he ministered to. And she went back in and spread the word, and a city was saved. That's where we're at, church. Don't, we can't put it all on our pastor. We can't put it all on him. It's the body of Christ. One of the messages we heard at the minister's meeting this week uh, the pastor was talking about his church, and they were like, I brought somebody to church. I brought somebody to church. I'm going to turn it over to you. And he said, don't turn them over to me. He's like, yeah, I'll do what I can, but you know them. You've ate with them. You've spent time with them. You know how to minister to them. I'm going to do what I can too, but it takes all of us. It takes all of us to spread this gospel. We can't put it all on our pastor church. Let's make disciples. Let's find someone and minister to them. And see what God will do to them and what God will do with them. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. That's where we are. That's where we are, church. And that's when I look at this, the children of Israel in fool's gold. And I see so many similarities uh, with the children of Israel and all of Israel through the Old Testament and, and, and the United States and where we are today. There was a, a class, Brother Zach and, and, and Purpose Institute on uh, minor prophets. And we had to do an essay on what, which one of the Minor Prophets books close, most closely relates to the United States today. And I said, okay, that's going to be tough. So I, start, I read them all, and I said, you know what? Every single one of these can relate to us in this country in some way today. Every single one of them has parts of Israel falling away where the prophets are saying, it's time to repent. It's time to come back. 
Israel had gone through their ups and downs and their ups and downs. And I see that that's where we are today. And I think in my essay, I, I did a little bit of every one of them. I said, I'm not going to just choose one. I'm going to choose a little bit from every one of these because that's where we are as a nation. We've got this up and down and this hot and cold. And I don't want to be a church of Laodicea. I don't want to be lukewarm and be spit out. I don't want to be that kind of a church. I want to be a Holy Ghost-filled church that's serving the Lord God Almighty with everything that we have. And then we're seeing people come in that are visitors and finding something. They're saying, I don't know what this is. And we're seeing it. I'm thankful for what we have here, church. But I'm going to speak to our congregation tonight and say, let's not stop what we're doing. Let's not let up. As a matter of fact, let's put our foot even further on the gas to what we need to do because of this urgency, because of what's going on. Because of what God is wanting to do. Fool's gold. I remember as a kid, five, six, seven years old, whatever it was, going to summer camp one year. And uh, one night they were like, hey, we got a big surprise for you all tonight out at the campfire. We're going to also have a gold hunt. And uh, I'm like, I don't know, seven or whatever it was. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be awesome. Gold? Why, wait till mom and dad see this. How much gold I bring home? <laughs> Little did I know. We go out, and they send us out in the field, give us a bucket. I'm finding these little gold chunks everywhere, filling this bucket up, excited, like, I can't believe they're just giving us all this gold. What is going on here? And then they said, all right, it's over. Come back to the campfire. And then they're like, actually, you guys know what that is? That's fool's gold. <laughs> so my, 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 little, my little seven-year-old heart was pretty crushed, like, oh, I'm not going to go home and have an early retirement for mom and dad. Or, or, or whatever it was, but I was like, man, what is this? What is this fool's gold stuff? But I look at the children of Israel, and I see what they had just come through all these hundreds of years in Egypt. They had grown comfortable in Egypt. We don't see that completely, but we can read enough to understand that they grew completely comfortable with where they were in Egypt and what they had. They had become rich. They had enjoyed the foods. They had enjoyed the wines. Everything, they had completely grown comfortable. They, I'm sure they had the doctors and the care that they needed, everything that they needed. And here's Moses saying, all right, come on, let's go out into this wilderness. And even though they're free now, and they're seeing all these miracles, and they're seeing all these wonderful things happening First instance, as soon as things happen, as soon as they're like, well, where is Moses? What did they do? They say, oh, well, let's, let's build this altar. Let's build this God. And what do they do? They go to the gold. They go to the gold that they had brought out of Egypt. They go to what they knew and what they thought was valuable. They go to what they thought they could build something into and say, now this is our God. This is the God that we're going to serve. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt, forgetting all the while that God, the one most high, the invisible God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one that delivered them. He used Moses. He parted the Red Sea. He made water come out of a rock. They immediately forgot where their God was and who their God was and turned to this gold. Turn to this false sense of stability. Turn to this false sense of what they need and what they thought was going to provide for them and what they thought was valuable, gold. And I'm afraid that that's where we are as a nation. I feel like I've spoke this in so many different services so similarly that it's just what God has put on my heart. And I'm just going to keep preaching it until either I get it or we get it or somebody else gets it. I don't know what it is. But as long as he's putting it on my heart, I'm going to keep preaching it. Because he keeps putting it on my heart for a reason. 
He keeps saying, we got to know what this is. And we got to know what we're investing in. We got to know what we're putting our hope in and what we're putting our trust in. And it's not in fool's gold, church. It's not in a fool's gold. And I just wonder, I look at these children of Israel and think, they so quickly were able to turn to this and say, well, this is what's valuable to me. And I just wonder, what, what are we investing in in the United States? I just wonder if, if we turned and invested more in our prayer closets than we did our retirement accounts. If we invested more in our prayer closets than we did our careers. If we invested more in our prayer closets than we did our golf game. If we invested more in our prayer closets than we did our Facebook posts. And how many people were getting watching us and how many people were getting thumbs up on. If we invested more in our prayer closets than we did our Instagram post. If we invested more in our prayer closets. <laughs> Praise God. Come on, church. I'm telling you, this is what we got to be investing in. My God. Our prayer, our prayer, our fasting. How much time are we spending fasting? How much time are we spending in this word? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Teacher, teach thyself. I'm talking to myself, church. Because it's so easy to come home after a stressful day and just turn on the TV and veg out. What am I getting from that? How much time am I spending in my prayer closet versus in this word? I, I don't know. We have to ask ourselves that. And I'm going to challenge us to ask ourselves that tonight. Because I know what I'm investing in, which one is going to pay off for me in the end. And I know that Facebook page is not going to pay off for me in the end. I know that television show is not going to pay off for me in the end. I know that movie is not going to pay off for me in the end. But that prayer closet is going to pay off for my daughter. That prayer closet is going to pay off for my finances and for my health and for what I want to do and for what I want to do for God. Hallelujah. I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to invest in someone. And I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to shut down the things of this world. And I'm going to say, all right, I, I've prayed, I've studied, I've fasted. And now, what else is there to do? Still not time to go to those things. I'm sorry. I know it's where we are as a society. I know it's where we are. And it's not our fault. We're a product of this society. We're a product of, of where we are today. We didn't wake up and just invent all these distractions ourselves. These have happened. The enemy has put these in our lives and in our path over time and said, here's a distraction here. Here's, here's television. Here's cable television. Here's 10,000 channels. I don't know whatever it is today, but it's something that's constant. Here's the Internet now. Here's Facebook now. Here it is. Here, here's another thing. Here's another thing that we get added on. And then by the time we look at all that, what have we done? We're exhausted. Exhausted. They've shown stats of I mean, pastors talked about it. We've heard so many people talk about it. I believe Brother Nutter talked about it a few weeks ago, of the stats of suicide rates and so many things from disappointments and what's happened with Instagram and Facebook, and, and these are just distractions. I'm not going to say don't do any of them. I understand where we are today. I'm guilty myself of sometimes just wanting to unplug from everything and, and just look at something that, uh, whatever, I'm a big Reds fan, so I, I got to admit that I'll, I'll turn on a game and, and just watch a game, and they're not very good, although they've been playing all right, but it's just something. But you know what? If I can just say, all right, you know what? Ten minutes of that, and you know what? I need to find my prayer closet. I need to find my prayer closet. 
talking to Brother Lamar a, a week or so ago and, and just talking about the things of God and just talking about him and, and, and the things of, of him and just serving him and living for him. I said, you know, there's times that I can go back to those songs of the 90s when I was living in the world and, and on my Pandora just pull up a, a, a Dave Matthews song or something and think, well, you know what, this is fun to listen to, turn the, turn, or roll the windows down, sunny day out, and, and listen to this for a minute. But I find myself two, three minutes in just thinking, oh, this is empty. And, and it's taken my mind off of you, God. And it's taken my mind off the presence of God. And I just want the presence of God. Come on, church. I just want to be in his presence. It's you I live for every day. And if I don't do that, I find myself straying. I find my mind straying. And I find the things of this world becoming overwhelming. And I find the things, the troubles of this world becoming overwhelming. And I'm like, how did I get here? How did all of a sudden my mind get distraught and me worried about this, worried about that, knowing that God can take care of it right now, knowing that God already has the answer? We got to start living what we preach. We got to start living what we tell people. We got to start living what people come in and hear us preaching. We have to start living it. Because like when Brother Enos went to the hospital that day, if we weren't able to stand here and pray and seek God at that time, then what are they going to believe? If they can't see us saying, I don't know what do we have here tonight, our, our Sunday night faithful, but if they don't see us, this congregation, the tried and true saints of God, the Holy Ghost filled saints of God living it, doing it every day, then who, what are they going to believe? Who can they believe? I'm sorry, there's such a stigma out there with some of the televangelists that have ruined the name uh, uh, of Christ and ru ruined Christianity because uh, of the things they get caught in doing or whatever. And you know what? The enemy's attacking them. And people don't understand what makes them fall. People don't understand but that they've become vulnerable because they've let their guard or they let their prayer down. And then that's the, what they believe everybody is. But you come into this church, and I'm thankful for our pastor and our saints and our congregation, that we're living it, that we're doing it, that this is where people can come in and say, okay, I see and I feel something that's real here. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But that's what we got to start investing in. We have to start investing in it. Fool's gold will get us nothing. Fool's gold got them nothing. Fool's gold will get us, it's a bad investment. It's a bad investment. And, and I'm reading this book I just picked up at camp called uh, The Coal Miner Preacher. Coal Miner Preacher. And, man, it spoke to me instantly because I could relate to this guy immediately because my grandma is a true coal miner's daughter. Grew up in a, a little speck of dirt in Kentucky and, and a, a hollow. Some people call it a holler. But <laughs> down in this little coal mining town. So when this, I'm reading this book, and I'm going to share a couple stories with you because I'm only in chat and, and finishing, just finished chapter two today. And I'm going to share some with you because I tell you what, this is what I'm talking about. This was from a day and a time. This is probably 80 years ago or so that, that he was living this life and growing up in this coal mining town. And it's back to that time before we had all the expenses and all the luxuries that we have in this country. And I can relate to it because when I've gone to visit where my grandma grew up and see the houses that they, that they have built up and, and, and see and get an understanding of what these coal mining camps uh, were about, I can understand what he was saying. 
And he shares this story of how they would just have these prayer meetings. And he would go walking through this coal mining camp. And out of every house, he would just hear speaking in tongues and praying and worship. Because that's what all that these people had. They didn't have cable television. They didn't have television. They might have been lucky enough to have a radio. If that, they just had the word of God. They didn't have great doctors and great hospitals. When somebody needed help, they said, hey, I'm going next door. We're going to pray right now. That's what they had. And that's why God moved and why whole towns were filled with the Holy Ghost and why the power of God was moving in this 12-year-old boy seeing people healed. He was going up and telling stories and laying hands on people and seeing them healed. He talks about his mother having tuberculosis. He said he was like a little five- or six-year-old boy, whatever age it was. And he said she was bedridden for weeks. And, and, and at that time, he explains that TB killed people. They didn't have much of a chance. This was before they had any medicine to take care of that and, and to heal that. And he said he's just, he's just, he didn't know what to do. His mom, he's got five or six siblings, and, and she's bedridden and sick and, and dying. And he said they had a, a lady that was from one of the churches come over, and she was taking care of, of the kids, taking care of the family while she was just sick, dying. And he said he watched her go outside in their backyard where they were growing their beans, and he said they got, she got down on her knees in between two rows of beans and just started praying and travailing to God and said, Lord, take me. My children are grown. Take me and save her. She needs to raise her kids. And God spoke to her and said, I don't need to take a life to heal a life. Praise God. Yes. My God. Thank you, Jesus. And he said, you get up and you go in there. You call some women and, and get some neighbors and get some people over here to pray. And he said, a car pulled up, a Model T, he called it. He said, four doors flew open. He said, six women jumped out. He said, they were already speaking in tongues because they were prayed up. He said, because they were already prayed up. You see, they weren't caught into fool's gold. They weren't looking at how much they had in their bank account. They weren't on their Facebook page. They were already somewhere praying. They were in their house praying already. All they had to do was get a phone call and say, hey, somebody needs a miracle right now. Okay, let's go. And they get there and they're praying. My God, hallelujah. We need that today, church. If we want to see revival, if we want to see people come in here and be touched and be healed, we keep saying all the time, we want to see miracles. Oh, I want to see miracles. I want to see miracle signs and wonders. I want to see amazing things happen. But let's just get real. How much are we, time are we even spending in prayer ourselves here when we come in here before service? I, I, I'm just asking, how much are we praying Sunday morning before service, Sunday night before service? How much are we praying before we leave our house? How much are we praying on the way to the church? I get it. I've got a four-year-old, almost a four-year-old, and it takes, <laughs> she's a lot of work. Some of us have multiple kids, Brother Josh. I get it. But we don't have time to invest in anything else. Because my daughter needs me prayed up. And I tell you what, if for anything else, that's why I'm going to be praying. That's why I'm going to be in the Word of God. Hallelujah. But all the better I come here prayed up when somebody needs a prayer, when somebody needs me to talk to them, or when somebody needs me to pray for them. All the better that I've come prayed up. 
We keep saying, where, where is it at? Where is it at? There's people that come into the church. Where's my healing? Why don't we see them healed? Why don't we see that happen? I don't know. Why aren't we praying as much as we could? I'm just asking. I, I, I don't know the answer. I, I do know the answer. It's because of everything we're caught up in. It's fool's gold. That's why we're not prayed up to where we need to be. That's why we're not fasted up to where we need to be. I'm teaching myself tonight, church. I'm not hammering away at us, at all you. I'm talking to myself tonight. Praise God. Another story he talks about is he said that uh, here he is, a 12-year-old boy. He said he's running through the cornfields, and he said God just started moving on him. He said, I started jumping up and down in this cornfield, praising God, going crazy. He said, I couldn't control myself. God was just moving all over me, just came over me, and I was just jumping around like a madman. And he said, the one guy in town, he said, everybody called the infidel, happened to see him. (laughs) And he said he went inside and told his wife, well, that boy, that boy, Jimmy, he's gone. uh, His name is James Russell, by the way. He said, Jimmy's gone plumb crazy. Tell everybody to look out. Watch out for Jimmy. He's going crazy. I don't know what he's going to do. That got back to to Jimmy, and he said, well, I I don't care. I'm just going to praise God. He says shortly thereafter, this gentleman got started hemorrhaging and and was on his deathbed in his house again. They didn't go to hospitals back then. They stayed in their home. They stayed where they were, and doctors would come and visit them, whatever the case may be, and and whatever they could do, they they did. But he's he's in his bed, and he's hemorrhaging, and the doctor said, I've done the last thing that I can do. And you probably only have a short time to live. He's like, but I'm going to do this one more thing, and then I'll be back, and, and we'll just see if it works. And he, uh, the doctor left, and God spoke to, to Jimmy, and he went to the house, and he said, I'm just going to go, and I'm just going to knock on the door, and, and I'm going to see. I don't, he's probably going to throw me out, Lord, but I'm just going to go. And God said, just go. Touch him in my name. Touch him in my name. And he went. And his wife answered the door, and, and his husband, or her husband, called out, Who's there? Who's there? And she said, It's little Jimmy. And he said, Send him back here. Send him back here. Amen. Hallelujah. Because people know. People know what they need. Somewhere inside, they know what they need. It's that void calling out and saying, I, I may mock it one day, but I'm going to need it the next day. And he goes back. He lays hands on him, calls the name of Jesus. He got up instantly, started walking around the house. The doctor showed up several hours later and said, what happened? And he said, a little boy came over and prayed for me, and I'm healed. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. One, one more story. He said that, uh, that actually, this is another good one. I'm sorry. Like I said, I'm through two chapters. He, he said that now this was when he was a little bit older and had become a pastor. He said now they had phones and everything. And, uh, again, still in the coal mining camps. And, and, and people, again, they did what they could do. They said, hey, somebody needs help. Uh, a wife called him at his home and said, my husband's dying. I don't think he's going to last much longer. If you could come and, and just pray for him. And uh, it was a Sunday morning. He had church. And and so many pastors can relate to that and say, Sunday morning, stuff starts happening. But he said, he told his wife, he said, I'm going to go pray for this man. If I don't make it back, um, have the the saints or somebody pray or somebody minister. Do what you can do, but I'm going to do my best to be there. So he started to make his trek. He said this was uh, late winter, and it was a downpour of rain. He said, just pouring down rain. 
and, and the waters had raised up to where he couldn't get across the bridge. And he said, Lord, I've come this far. I can't even see across this river or, or this creek, whatever it was. And he said, I'm willing to go pray for this man and call on your name, but you got to help me get there. And he said, as soon as he said that, he started to see ripples in the water. Ripples in the water coming to him. And he thought, well, amen, Lord, you're sending a boat. But he said it wasn't a boat. It was a tractor. And he said it had a three-foot tall man on it. And he said, wow, this is kind of interesting. He said the tractor pulled up out of the water and said, get on, preacher. And he just got on. He said he got on as high as he could get. And he said they went through. And he said it struck him. He said this whole entire tractor, except for the seat and where I'm sitting, is underwater. And he thought, how is this working? How is this even running? And he's looking at this three-foot-tall man thinking, who is this guy? This is a coal mining camp, and I've never seen this guy in my life. If you don't know, most of those camps, they knew everybody. So he said they get across, they pull out. He's like, I still don't know how that happened. He said, I, my, but I couldn't even speak. He said, I, I was just silenced during this process. And he said, the guy said, get off, preacher. And he said, all right. So he started to make his way, and then he came to another uh, swollen creek, and he couldn't get across that. And he said, well, Lord, what are you going to do now? And he looked over, and there was three horses right there. And uh, the owner of these horses, he did happen to know. And he said, but he said the guy was, was not too keen on him. He didn't really like him all that much. He was like, I don't know what's going to happen. So he said, I walked up to his barn with his horse in my hand, and the guy said, what are you doing with my horse? And he told him, and he said, all right, I'm going to saddle him up for you. So he gets there, gets across the river, goes praise for the guy. The guy is healed. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, another healing that he saw happen. But the funny part of the story, he has to make his way back. He said it happened instantly. He's like, well, I'm going to get back in time for church. Amen. So he, he starts to make his way back and uh, gets on the horse, crosses back over, takes the guy, the horse back. Now we're seeing it. We're seeing it. The stuff that we were told about at that age, we're starting to see happen. Stuff that I never thought would happen, we're starting to see happen. And now I believe God's saying, hey, if you miss that sign, it might be too late. And he's just pouring out his love. He's pouring out his love. Just like when he was going to destroy Sodom, Abraham prayed and said, can you just wait, just wait. And God said, I'll wait. I'll wait and I'll let you get a few people out of there. He's pouring out his love and giving some people this last chance this last time. And he's saying, you know what? I've showed you what I'm going to do. You've seen in my word what I'm going to do with Noah and the ark. You've seen what I've done to Sodom. But I'm going to go ahead and just pour out my love right now. And if you don't receive it now, it's going to be too late. So I feel the urgency and prayer, Brother Witt, the prayer, what we felt tonight, the urgency we felt in this prayer tonight. God is saying it's time. It's time to start coming back. It's time to start dedicating your life to me and my word and this word because that's what time it is, church. That's where we're at. The warning signs have passed, and it's time to react right now. Just like when you hear warning signs, fire alarms at school, all those things that we did as a kid when they would sound the fire alarms and say, all right, we're doing this test drill. They sound the alarm first, but then it's up to us to respond. It's up to us to take the motion. That's when we come together. That's when we start to move. That's when we start to do what we're supposed to do. God has said, all right, I've sounded it. Now you need to respond. And that's what we're starting to do. And that's what we need to do, church. The other thing that I'm hearing so often at, at these conferences and these services, discipleship. Discipleship. That's another thing. Our pastors and our preachers have done their job for so many years 
flashing the warning signs. Now God is saying, it's time for my body. It's time for my body, everyone to respond and everyone to start doing something to get people to come back to me, to get people to find me. Discipleship, that's what we're hearing everywhere. This whole week at camp, discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. Find someone, just find one person and disciple to them and bring them to church. Give them a Bible study, whatever it is, find one person. Amen. That's what Jesus did when he went to the well, the woman of Samaria that was there. He sent the, the disciples off, and he ministered to one person. That's the one person that he ministered to. And she went back in and spread the word, and a city was saved. That's where we're at, church. Don't, we can't put it all on our pastor. We can't put it all on him. It's the body of Christ. One of the messages we heard at the minister's meeting this week uh, the pastor was talking about his church, and they were like, I brought somebody to church. I brought somebody to church. I'm going to turn it over to you. And he said, don't turn them over to me. He's like, yeah, I'll do what I can, but you know them. You've ate with them. You've spent time with them. You know how to minister to them. I'm going to do what I can too, but it takes all of us. It takes all of us to spread this gospel. We can't put it all on our pastor church. Let's make disciples. Let's find someone and minister to them. And see what God will do to them and what God will do with them. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. That's where we are. That's where we are, church. And that's when I look at this, the children of Israel in fool's gold. And I see so many similarities uh, with the children of Israel and all of Israel through the Old Testament and, and the United States and where we are today. There was a, a class, Brother Zach and, and Purpose Institute on uh, minor prophets. And we had to do an essay on what, which one of the Minor Prophets books close, most closely relates to the United States today. And I said, okay, that's going to be tough. So I, start, I read them all, and I said, you know what? Every single one of these can relate to us in this country in some way today. Every single one of them has parts of Israel falling away where the prophets are saying, it's time to repent. It's time to come back. Israel had gone through their ups and downs and their ups and downs. And I see that that's where we are today. And I think in my essay, I, I did a little bit of every one of them. I said, I'm not going to just choose one. I'm going to choose a little bit from every one of these because that's where we are as a nation. We've got this up and down and this hot and cold. And I don't want to be a church of Laodicea. I don't want to be lukewarm and be spit out. I don't want to be that kind of a church. I want to be a Holy Ghost-filled church that's serving the Lord God Almighty with everything that we have. And then we're seeing people come in that are visitors and finding something. They're saying, I don't know what this is. And we're seeing it. I'm thankful for what we have here, church. But I'm going to speak to our congregation tonight and say, let's not stop what we're doing. Let's not let up. As a matter of fact, let's put our foot even further on the gas to what we need to do because of this urgency, because of what's going on. Because of what God is wanting to do. Fool's gold. I remember as a kid, five, six, seven years old, whatever it was, going to summer camp one year. And uh, one night they were like, hey, we got a big surprise for you all tonight out at the campfire. We're going to also have a gold hunt. And uh, I'm like, I don't know, seven or whatever it was. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be awesome. Gold? Why wait till mom and dad see this. How much gold I bring home? <laughs> Little did I know. We go out, and they send us out in the field, give us a bucket. I'm finding these little gold chunks everywhere, filling this bucket up, excited, like, I can't believe they're just giving us all this gold. What is going on here? And then they said, all right, it's over. Come back to the campfire. And then they're like, 
Actually, you guys know what that is? That's fool's gold. <laughs> so my, 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 little, my little seven-year-old heart was pretty crushed, like, oh, I'm not going to go home and have an early retirement for mom and dad or, or, or whatever it was. But I was like, man, what is this? What is this fool's gold stuff? But I look at the children of Israel, and I see what they had just come through all these hundreds of years in Egypt. They had grown comfortable in Egypt. We don't see that completely, but we can read enough to understand that they grew completely comfortable with where they were in Egypt and what they had. They had become rich. They had enjoyed the foods. They had enjoyed the wines, everything. They had completely grown comfortable. I'm sure they had the doctors and the care that they needed, everything that they needed. And here's Moses saying, all right, come on, let's go out into this wilderness. And even though they're free now and they're seeing all these miracles and they're seeing all these wonderful things happening, First instance, as soon as things happen, as soon as they're like, well, where is Moses? What did they do? They say, oh, well, let's, let's build this altar. Let's build this God. And what do they do? They go to the gold. They go to the gold that they had brought out of Egypt. They go to what they knew and what they thought was valuable. They go to what they thought they could build something into and say, now this is our God. This is the God that we're going to serve. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt, forgetting all the while that God, the one most high, the invisible God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one that delivered them. He used Moses. He parted the Red Sea. He made water come out of a rock. They immediately forgot where their God was and who their God was and turned to this gold. Turn to this false sense of stability. Turn to this false sense of what they need and what they thought was going to provide for them and what they thought was valuable, gold. And I'm afraid that that's where we are as a nation. I feel like I've spoke this in so many different services so similarly that it's just what God has put on my heart. And I'm just going to keep preaching it until either I get it or we get it or somebody else gets it. I don't know what it is. But as long as he's putting it on my heart, I'm going to keep preaching it. Because he keeps putting it on my heart for a reason. He keeps saying, we got to know what this is. And we got to know what we're investing in. we got to know what we're putting our hope in. And what we're putting our trust in. And it's not in fool's gold, church. It's not in a fool's gold. I, and I just wonder, I look at these children of Israel and think, they so quickly were able to turn to this and say, well, this is what's valuable to me. And I just wonder, what, what are we investing in in the United States? I just wonder if, if we turned and invested more in our prayer closets than we did our retirement accounts. If we invested more in our prayer closets than we did our careers. If we invested more in our prayer closets than we did our golf game. If we invested more in our prayer closets than we did our Facebook posts. And how many people were getting watching us and how many people were getting thumbs up on. If we invested more in our prayer closets than we did our Instagram post. If we invested more in our prayer closets. <laughs> Praise God. Come on, church. I'm telling you, this is what we got to be investing in. My God. Our prayer. Our prayer. Our fasting. How much time are we spending fasting? How much time are we spending in this word? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Teacher, teach thyself. I'm talking to myself, church. Because it's so easy to come home after a stressful day and just turn on the TV and veg out. What am I getting from that? How much time am I spending in my prayer closet versus in this word? I, I don't know. We have to ask ourselves that. And I'm going to challenge us to ask ourselves that tonight. 
Because I know what I'm investing in, which one is going to pay off for me in the end. And I know that Facebook page is not going to pay off for me in the end. I know that television show is not going to pay off for me in the end. I know that movie is not going to pay off for me in the end. But that prayer closet is going to pay off for my daughter. That prayer closet is going to pay off for my finances and for my health and for what I want to do and for what I want to do for God. Hallelujah. I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to invest in someone. And I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to shut down the things of this world. And I'm going to say, all right, I've prayed. I've studied. I've fasted. And now, what else is there to do? Still not time to go to those things. I'm sorry. I know it's where we are as a society. I know it's where we are. And it's not our fault. We're a product of this society. We're a product of, of where we are today. We didn't wake up and just invent all these distractions ourselves. These have happened. The enemy has put these in our lives and in our path over time and said, here's a distraction here. Here's, here's television. Here's cable television. Here's 10,000 channels. I don't know whatever it is today, but it's something that's constant. Here's the Internet now. Here's Facebook now. Here it is. Here, here's another thing. Here's another thing that we get added on. And then by the time we look at all that, what have we done? We're exhausted. Exhausted. They've shown stats of... I mean, pastors talked about it. We've heard so many people talk about it. I believe Brother Nutter talked about it a few weeks ago, of the stats of suicide rates and so many things from disappointments and what's happened with Instagram and Facebook. And, and these are just distractions. I'm not going to say don't do any of them. I understand where we are today. I'm guilty myself of sometimes just wanting to unplug from everything and, and just look at something that, uh, whatever, I'm a big Reds fan, so I, I got to admit that I, I'll, I'll turn on a game and, and just watch a game, and they're not very good, although they've been playing all right, but it's just something. But you know what? If I can just say, all right, you know what? Ten minutes of that, and you know what? I need to find my prayer closet. I need to find my prayer closet. Talking to Brother Lamar a, a week or so ago, and just talking about the things of God and just talking about Him and the things of Him and just serving Him and living for Him. I said, you know, there's times that I can go back to those songs of the 90s when I was living in the world and on my Pandora just pull up a Dave Matthews song or something and think, well, you know what, this is fun to listen to, turn the, or roll the windows down, sunny day out, and listen to this for a minute, but I find myself two, three minutes in, just thinking, no, this is empty. And, and it's taken my mind off of you, God. And it's taken my mind off the presence of God. And I just want the presence of God. Come on, church. I just want to be in his presence. It's you I live for every day. And if I don't do that, I find myself straying. I find my mind straying. And I find the things of this world becoming overwhelming. And I find the things, the troubles of this world becoming overwhelming. And I'm like, how did I get here? How did all of a sudden my mind get distraught and me worried about this, worried about that, knowing that God can take care of it right now, knowing that God already has the answer? We got to start living what we preach. We got to start living what we tell people. We got to start living what people come in and hear us preaching. We have to start living it. Because like when Brother Enos went to the hospital that day, if we weren't able to stand here and pray and seek God at that time, then what are they going to believe? If they can't see us saying, I don't know what do we have here tonight, our, our Sunday night faithful, but if they don't see us, this congregation, 
the tried and true saints of God, the Holy Ghost-filled saints of God, living it, doing it every day, then who, what are they going to believe? Who can they believe? I'm sorry, there's such a stigma out there with some of the televangelists that have ruined the name uh, uh, of Christ and ru ruined Christianity because uh, of the things they get caught in doing or whatever. And you know what? The enemy's attacking them. And people don't understand what makes them fall. People don't understand but that they've become vulnerable because they've let their guard or they let their prayer down. And then that's the, what they believe everybody is. But you come into this church, and I'm thankful for our pastor and our saints and our congregation that we're living it, that we're doing it. That this is where people can come in and say, okay, I see and I feel something that's real here. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But that's what we got to start investing in. We have to start investing in it. Fool's gold will get us nothing. Fool's gold got them nothing. Fool's gold will get us. It's a bad investment. It's a bad investment. And, and I'm reading this book I, I just picked up at, at camp called uh, The Coal Miner Preacher. Coal Miner Preacher. And, man, it spoke to me instantly because I could relate to this guy immediately because my grandma's a true coal miner's daughter. Grew up in a, a little speck of dirt in Kentucky and, and a, a hollow. Some people call it a holler, but <laughs> down in this little coal mining town. So when this, I'm reading this book, and I'm going to share a couple stories with you because I'm only in chat and, and finishing, just finished chapter two today. And I'm going to share some of it with you because I tell you what, this is what I'm talking about. This was from a day and a time. This is probably 80 years ago or so that, that he was living this life and growing up in this coal mining town. And it's back to that time before we had all the expenses and all the luxuries that we have in this country. And I can relate to it because when I've gone to visit where my grandma grew up and see the houses that they, that they have built up and, and, and see and get an understanding of what these coal mining camps uh, were about, I can understand what he was saying. And he shares this story of how they would just have these prayer meetings. And he would go walking through this coal mining camp. And out of every house, he would just hear speaking in tongues and praying and worship. Because that's what all that these people had. They didn't have cable television. They didn't have television. They might have been lucky enough to have a radio. If that, they just had the word of God. They didn't have great doctors and great hospitals. When somebody needed help, they said, hey, I'm going next door. We're going to pray right now. That's what they had. And that's why God moved and why whole towns were filled with the Holy Ghost and why the power of God was moving in this 12-year-old boy seeing people healed. He was going up and telling stories and laying hands on people and seeing them healed. He talks about his mother having tuberculosis. He said he was like a little five- or six-year-old boy, whatever age it was. And he said she was bedridden for weeks. And, and, and at that time, he explains that TB killed people. They didn't have much of a chance. This was before they had any medicine to take care of that and, and to heal that. And he said he's just, he's just, he didn't know what to do. His mom, he's got five or six siblings, and, and she's bedridden and sick and, and dying. And he said they had a, a lady that was from one of the churches come over, and she was taking care of the kids, taking care of the family while she was just sick, dying. And he said he watched her go outside in their backyard where they were growing their beans. And he said they got, she got down on her knees in between two rows of beans and just started praying and travailing to God. And said, Lord, take me. My children are grown. Take me and save her. She needs to raise her kids. And God spoke to her and said, I don't need to take a life to heal a life. 
praise God. Yes. My God. Thank you, Jesus. And he said, you get up and you go in there. You call some women and, and get some neighbors and get some people over here to pray. And he said, a car pulled up, a Model T, he called it. He said, four doors flew open. He said, six women jumped out. He said, they were already speaking in tongues because they were prayed up. He said, because they were already prayed up. You see, they weren't caught into fool's gold. They weren't looking at how much they had in their bank account. They weren't on their Facebook page. They were already somewhere praying. They were in their house praying already. All they had to do was get a phone call and say, hey, somebody needs a miracle right now. Okay, let's go. And they get there and they're praying. My God, hallelujah. We need that today, church. If we want to see revival, if we want to see people come in here and be touched and be healed, we keep saying all the time, we want to see miracles. Oh, I want to see miracles. I want to see miracle signs and wonders. I want to see amazing things happen. But let's just get real. How much are we, time are we even spending in prayer ourselves here when we come in here before service? I, I, I'm just asking, how much are we praying Sunday morning before service, Sunday night before service? How much are we praying before we leave our house? How much are we praying on the way to the church? I get it. I've got a four-year-old, almost a four-year-old, and it takes, <laughs> she's a lot of work. Some of us have multiple kids, Brother Josh. I get it. But we don't have time to invest in anything else. Because my daughter needs me prayed up. And I tell you what, if for anything else, that's why I'm going to be praying. That's why I'm going to be in the Word of God. Hallelujah. But all the better I come here prayed up when somebody needs a prayer, when somebody needs me to talk to them, or when somebody needs me to pray for them. All the better that I've come prayed up. We keep saying, where, where is it at? Where is it at? There's people that come into the church. Where's my healing? Why don't we see them healed? Why don't we see that happen? I don't know. Why aren't we praying as much as we could? I'm just asking. I, I, I don't know the answer. I, I do know the answer. It's because of everything we're caught up in. It's fool's gold. That's why we're not prayed up to where we need to be. That's why we're not fasted up to where we need to be. I'm teaching myself tonight, church. I'm not hammering away at us, at all you. I'm talking to myself tonight. Praise God. Another story he talks about is he said that uh, here he is, a 12-year-old boy. He said he's running through the cornfields, and he said God just started moving on him. He said, I started jumping up and down in this cornfield, praising God, going crazy. He said, I couldn't control myself. God was just moving all over me, just came over me, and I was just jumping around like a madman. And he said, the one guy in town, he said, everybody called the infidel, happened to see him. <laughs> and he said he went inside and told his wife, well, that boy, that boy, Jimmy, he's gone. Uh, his name is Jim, James Russell, by the way. He said, Jimmy's gone plumb crazy. Tell everybody, look out, watch out for Jimmy. He's going crazy. I don't know what he's going to do. That got back to, to Jimmy, and he said, well, I, I don't care. I'm just going to praise God. He says shortly thereafter, this gentleman got started hemorrhaging and, and was on his deathbed in his house again. They didn't go to hospitals back then. They stayed in their home. They stayed where they were, and doctors would come and visit them, whatever the case may be, and, and, and whatever they could do, they, they did. But he's in, a, he's in his bed, and he's hemorrhaging, and the doctor said, I've done the last thing that I can do. And you probably only have a short time to live. He's like, but I'm going to do this one more thing, and then I'll be back, and, and we'll just see if it works. And he, uh, the doctor left, and God spoke to, to Jimmy, 
And he went to the house and he said, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to knock on the door and, and I'm going to see. I don't, he's probably going to throw me out, Lord, but I'm just going to go. And God said, just go. Touch him in my name. Touch him in my name. And he went and his wife answered the door and, and his husband or her husband called out, who's there? Who's there? And she said, it's little Jimmy. And he said, send them back here. Send them back here. Amen. Hallelujah. Because people know, people know what they need. Somewhere inside, they know what they need. It's that void calling out and saying, I, I may mock it one day, but I'm going to need it the next day. And he goes back. He lays hands on him, calls the name of Jesus. He got up instantly, started walking around the house. The doctor showed up several hours later and said, what happened? And he said, a little boy came over and prayed for me, and I'm healed. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. One, one more story. He said that, uh, that actually, th this is another good one. I'm sorry. Like I said, I'm through two chapters. He, <laughs> he said that now this was when he was a little bit older and had become a pastor. He said now they had phones and everything. And, uh, again, still in the coal mining camps. And, and, and people, again, they did what they could do. They said, hey, somebody needs help. Uh, a wife called him at his home and said, my husband's dying. I don't think he's going to last much longer. If you could come and, and just pray for him. And uh, it was a Sunday morning. He had church. And, and so many pastors can relate to that and say, Sunday morning, stuff starts happening. But he said, he told his wife, he said, I'm going to go pray for this man. If I don't make it back, um, have, the, have the saints or somebody pray or somebody minister. Do what you can do, but I'm going to do my best to be there. So he started to make his trek. He said this was uh, late winter, and it was a downpour of rain. He said just pouring down rain. And, and the waters had raised up to where he couldn't get across the bridge. And he said, Lord, I've come this far. I can't even see across this river or, or this creek, whatever it was. And he said, I I'm willing to go pray for this man and call on your name, but you got to help me get there. And he said as soon as he said that, he started to see ripples in the water. Ripples in the water coming to him, and he thought, well, amen, Lord, you're sending a boat. But he said it wasn't a boat. It was a tractor. And he said it had a three-foot-tall man on it. And he said, wow, this is kind of interesting. He said the tractor pulled up out of the water and said, get on, preacher. And he just got on. He said he got on as high as he could get, and he said they went through. And he said it struck him. He said this whole entire tractor, except for the seat and where I'm sitting, is underwater. And he thought, how is this working? How is this even running? And he's looking at this three-foot-tall man thinking, who is this guy? This is a coal mining camp, and I've never seen this guy in my life. If you don't know, most of those camps, they knew everybody. So he said they get across, they pull out. He's like, I still don't know how that happened. He said, I, my, but I couldn't even speak. He said, I, I was just silenced during this process. And he said, the guy said, get off, preacher. And he said, all right. So he started to make his way. And then he came to another uh, swollen creek, and he couldn't get across that. And he said, well, Lord, what are you going to do now? And he looked over, and there was three horses right there. And uh, the owner of these horses, he did happen to know. And he said, but he said the guy was, was not too keen on him. He didn't really like him all that much. He was like, I don't know what's going to happen. So he said, I walked up to his barn with his horse in my hand. And the guy said, what are you doing with my horse? And he told him, and he said, all right, I'm going to saddle him up for you. So he gets there. Gets across the river, goes praise for the guy. The guy is healed. Thank you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. Another healing that he saw happen. 
But the funny part of the story, he has to make his way back. He said it happened instantly. He's like, well, I'm going to get back in time for church. Amen. So he, he starts to make his way back and uh, gets on the horse, crosses back over, takes the guy, the horse back, comes back to the other body of water and says, well, Lord, I believe the guy's going to show up again. Sure enough, he sees the water moving. Up comes the tractor. Get on, preacher. And he says, at this, time, at this point in time, I was determined to say, who are you and how is this tractor working in this water? Because I don't understand any of it. He said he couldn't speak. Couldn't speak a word. He said, I was just completely silenced and, and something gripped a hold of me. And he said, we got back, went up out of the water. He said, he said, get off, preacher. And I got off and he said, I couldn't help but feel that I'm standing. I was just standing on holy ground. I was just standing on holy ground. And I just think, what about that time that they had? Now, he was definitely gifted. God had called him to this ministry of healing. But what about all these other people that he had called? What about all these other people that were in these cottage prayer meetings seeking God, saying, I'm not going to buy into fool's gold because I can't even get the fool's gold. Just like the countries right now that missionaries are coming back by the droves and telling us about miracles. And we have the audacity to doubt them when they say, we saw thousands of people filled with the Holy Ghost. We just heard the other day at camp where one of them said, you know, I, I, felt, I started feeling bad saying, when I say this, people aren't going to believe it. He's like, what is that, that we don't even believe it? It's because we've bought into so much fool's gold in this country that when, we, when these missionaries go to these countries where these people have nothing, nothing but God, and we have the audacity to doubt that God's going to do what he does? My God, help us, Lord Jesus. I repent for that. Help us, Jesus. And that's what we need in this nation is that kind of revival. That kind of understanding of what we need, not the fool's gold. The last story I'll share that he, that he shared is, and he was still young at this time. And his dad had witnessed and, and struggled with his ministry at that time, but said, you know what, I, I, I know that God has given you this gift. I know God has called you to do this. And, and I'm going to let you, you know, work in this gift. And he said all of a sudden, he said one day they were walking to church, and their little puppy dog, whatever it was, was following him. And he said, it kept biting me, kept nipping at me. And he said, uh, it bit me several times, so much so that it left teeth marks. And he said, what he found out later was, that it had bitten 12 to 15 people that day. So they called someone and they came and said, it's probably got rabies is why it's doing this. Because it was, it was not the way that it normally did things. It, it didn't normally act like this. And sure enough, it died like a day later. And they said once they were able to open up its, its brain and look at it, they confirmed and said, yes, it, it, it is full of rabies. And uh, the vet said, you know, you're going to all have to see the doctor. and get. You, you had to get like 12 shots something like that back then, to, to take care of this rabies. And they said it was painful and expensive. And they had five or six brothers and sisters, and they're coal miners. So their dad's like, I'm going to go to the coal mine, and I'm going to get uh, you know, a loan, and we're going to take care of this. We're going to get shots. And as they were driving, he was with Jimmy, and he said, now, Jimmy, I understand that you've got this ministry and your faith and what you do and your healing, and I'm going to let you make a decision. If you want to get this shot or if you want to just trust in God, it's your decision. And he's like, man, I'm a 12-year-old boy. Talk about a tough decision. <laughs> and he said, I, I looked at my dad a couple times, and I was looking at the road, and I was just thinking, 
I, I don't know. I don't know what to do, Lord. This is a little bit different. This is, this is about me. And he said, God spoke, and he, the scripture came to him. As for me and my, ho- my house, I will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. And he said, I, I thought God spoke to me and said, your house is your temple, and that's your body. And you will serve the Lord. I'm not asking us all to not take medications. I'm on an antibiotic right now. So I'm not saying to, to not do that. But I am saying we got to seek God first. I am saying we got to trust in God first. <laughs> Praise God. So he said he decided not to get the shot. Everybody else did. And he said after about eight, nine days, he started to lose his mind. He said, I knew that I was losing my mind. I knew that there was something going on. He said, I would start hallucinating. He was like, Lord, I may, I may die, and I, I'm trusting in you, so I don't know what to do. He said he went out to a field to either die or be healed. He said this was about 12 days in, and he said he couldn't take it anymore. He only had partial times of clarity in his mind. He was absolutely going crazy. And uh, he said he got out to that field, and God said, go to the church. And he said he found, he found his way. He walked into the church. He said it was packed full of people praying. And he said he just went straight to the altar. And he said he still didn't know what to do. He still thought he was going to die. And he said one of the ladies, one of the elderly ladies in the church, spoke up and said, my God, what are we doing? God is putting him through this trial, and we've not laid hands on him. We've just waited for him to heal himself. And that's what I'm saying, church, that it's the whole body of Christ that has to respond. Amen. And he said they came over and they prayed for him, and he was instantly healed. It's the body of Christ. We all have to be a part of this. My God, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. It takes the body of Christ to move. It takes the body of Christ to have miracles happen. We can't put it all on pastor and on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night to take care of all of it. We got to be working in this kingdom. Hallelujah. If that old time religion was good enough for Paul and Silas, it's good enough for me, church. If that old time religion was good enough for Azusa Street, it's good enough for me. If that old time religion was good enough for those holy rollers when I was a kid, it's good enough for me. Amen. Hallelujah. And I'm not talking about the music we're changing. Amen. We got to change. We got to update. God is doing new things. He's making new music. He's building new churches that look completely different. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that old-time religion, and I'm coming to an end. I'm talking about that old-time religion. If we just say, you know what? I'm not investing in fool's gold. I'm going to invest in you, God. Because I know when I need a miracle, if I've invested in fool's gold... It's not going to happen. But if I've invested in prayer, something's going to happen. When people need a miracle, they're going to come to somebody that's made a good investment, not an investment in fool's gold. So that's what I want my investment to be in. That's what I want to challenge our church and our congregation to invest in. Because that's when we're going to see things happen. That's when we're going to see people come in to this building and into this church and have their lives change. It's too critical. Like I said at the beginning, the urgency is on. The urgency is here. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what we're going to see. I know what the book of Revelation says is going to happen. I don't know what we're going to see. I don't know. But what would happen if we see that time come where you can't get medicine for your children unless you have that mark? 
if I'm not invested in something good, then I'm going to fall. If I'm invested in fool's gold, when they say take this mark or your children's not going to get the medicine they need, then I know where I can. That's fine with me if I've invested in the kingdom. That's fine with me if I've invested in this because that's when I'm going to call on the praying saints. That's when I'm going to call on the Lord and we're going to see something happen. Amen. But if we're not ready, church, and, I, and I'm afraid that too many of us, I don't want to be that church of Laodicea. I don't want to be that lukewarm church. And I'm afraid that too many have found it easy to invest in fool's gold and say, well, my bank account's full. My retirement account looks good. My doctor's the best in the city. Cincinnati Children's is one of the best hospitals in the city. We've got everything we need. And, and, and you know what? I'll, I'll pray a little bit. I'll maybe pray before dinner and just say thank you, Lord, for this day. But the rest of the time, I'm going to invest in, in something else that's going to distract me. Amen. Can we just praise God and seek him for a second? Jesus, we need you, Lord God. I praise you, God. I thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us, Lord God, to seek you, Jesus. Help us with the distractions, Lord God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to turn to you, Lord God. To go into our prayer closets, Lord God. To, to seek your word, to seek time with you. To tell our children about you. To live for you, Lord God. To seek you first. Jesus' name, can we stand and just seek him for a minute? I'm going to go ahead and open up the altar. If you want to invest in his kingdom for a few minutes, I encourage you to come forward. If you want to seek him for a few minutes and take a little bit of time and not make this just another service, then I'm going to go home and get back into my distractions. Or I'm going to go home and leave here and I'm going to go to dinner and I'm going to go look at my Facebook page and I'm going to go look at the things that I'm thinking about right now. If you want to just take a few minutes and invest in him right now, I encourage you to come forward. If you want to invest in the kingdom, I encourage you to come forward. If you want to renew yourself with God, I encourage you to come forward. If you want to pray for someone that's distracted right now, I encourage you to come forward. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we need you, Lord God. Holy is the name of the Lord God. Help us to invest in you, God. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, for our riches and for turning to the fool's gold. Forgive us, Lord God, for turning to the things that we think are going to satisfy us and take care of us, Lord God. Help us to turn our eyes back to you, God. In Jesus' name, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus.
you.